Assalamu alaikum, this is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you're listening to the newest Heartwork series, Finding Meaning in Trial. In this series, we'll be exploring an upcoming publication that I'm working on, translating and commenting on the beautiful short text of Al-Izz bin Abdussalam called The Benefits of Trials. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the meanings and some of the benefits of trials in our lives as given to us by Al-Izz bin Abdussalam. He gives us some of the good things that we seek in life that can only come from the bad moments that we experience in life. I look forward to joining you on this series, inshallah, and having you with us. And as always, if you benefit from our work, please consider donating and becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.org slash sustain. Bismillah, bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam wa ala rasulillah wa ala adihi wa ashabihi ijma'een. Welcome home, everybody. Alhamdulillah, it's good to see everybody. Hope you guys, we haven't plugged it in yet, but the new sign is up. It's exciting. Uh, not inside. Those of you who are looking around inside, it's outside. You'll see it, inshallah, hopefully when you head out after, uh, after Isha. Bismillah. Um, so I wanted to continue tonight. Sorry for the late start. We just had a little bit of a delay, but um, I wanted to continue, inshallah, tonight with our, our next point. But before we start on that, I did want to just take a moment. Um, I think uh, there's some... There's some value and some importance in talking about uh, the, you know, the three brothers that were attacked in Vermont uh, this weekend um, and sort of discussing the reality uh, that comes with uh, appearing or you know, being visibly Muslim or allowing people or people knowing that you're Muslim and the challenge that that can... Uh, that can provide for one's safety. And so first and foremost, we make dua for, uh, you know, everybody who has been the victim of an attack, whether it was Wadi'ah in Chicago, the young boy who was murdered. Uh, we make dua that Allah Ta'ala makes it easy for his family um, or just the countless others. And of course, first and foremost, we obviously remember those who are being attacked brutally right now in Gaza and in Palestine at large. But Obviously, this um, this hatred for uh, this Islamophobia and this anti-Palestinian sentiment is is expanding, right? Because of rhetoric and because of the way media presents Muslims, and so I just wanted to remind everybody of a couple things. Number one, first and foremost, is that, and this is not in any way, shape, or form uh, a, a way to. Uh, you know, call out anyone who doesn't. But if you wear the hijab, then I want you to know that we're making dua for you all the time for your strength and for your thabat. And that everybody, whether they wear the hijab or whether they don't or whether they, you know, are your brother or sister in Islam, everybody admires your courage and your bravery. And in this way, you know, while others might be able to get by, right, especially the brothers, you know, we can just say that you work at a coffee shop and you have a beard um, or that, you know, you just, you, your, your parents were, they named you something interesting, right? If you wear the hijab, um, there is, it's undeniable, right? Your faith, and that's part of the beauty of the hijab is that your faith is so pronounced, but obviously there can be that concern. And so we want to let you know that we make dua for you and that we are, uh, meaning we mean the community, not we as in like any particular group, but everybody is at your service when it comes to things like um, helping, 
whether you don't want to walk somewhere by yourself or you need someone to be on the phone with you while you're walking somewhere just in case or anything, any of the above, I think it's important for the community to understand that for those who choose to be visibly Muslim uh, in a time like this, that we are at your service, right? And then, of course, that extends to everybody as well. But I wanted to make a point that if a person is undeniably visibly Muslim, that we need to make sure that we don't, uh, that they don't regret it or fear it in any way, right? And of course, Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil, right? We place our trust, tawakkalna ala Allah. We place our trust in Allah completely, and we hope and pray that Allah Ta'ala will continue to offer His protection to us, Ya Rabb. Uh, but at the same time, we take the means, right? Even here at these gatherings, right, we have changed at Roots and Qalam, we've changed the schedule for the locks, we've hired extra security. We've done what we need to do. But then at the end of the day, we realize that whether or not the security is present or whether or not they are currently around the building or on the other side, that Allah Ta'ala has angels that He sends to protect us. And that by that virtue, we feel a connected you know, protection from Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. So I wanted to quickly just uh, remind everybody, and of course you make dua for those three brothers that were attacked simply because of the kufiyah that they were wearing. May Allah Ta'ala make it easy for them. Give them shifat that is quick. And may Allah Ta'ala make uh, their trial and their suffering a means for the liberation of our brothers and sisters. Ya Rabb. Okay, so the next point that Al-Izbin Abdus Salam he makes in this text. We covered last week the uh, We covered that trials and tribulations can push somebody and can propel somebody into a state of du'a and of desperation in their du'a. And we talked about some of the ways in which a person's du'a can be uh, benefited by that trial, that sometimes you don't feel the need or the co- you don't feel necessarily compelled to enter into a state of du'a, but then when you are going through a difficult moment and you've exhausted all other options, that du'a suddenly sits in the forefront and it has the complete and total focus of your mind and your heart, and that's when a person goes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next point, and it's related to du'a subtly, is he says, As-sadisa al-hilmu amman sadarat anhu al-musibah. He says that when you display, or when you are in a moment of difficulty, when you have been tested or tried, the next benefit is that you have the ability to exhibit what's called hilm. And hilm is actually one of those words that even the Arabic linguists, if you look in the Arabic dictionary, when they try to find like a one-word definition for it, they couldn't. And you look at all these scholars historically, you're like, what does hilm mean? And everybody kind of says the same thing, which is like, it's not that easy to define hilm. Because hilm has so many different elements and traits to it. We're going to go over all of them tonight. It has so many different elements and traits to it. But for the sake of making it easy tonight, we're going to translate it as being forbearant. Forbearant, forbearing, it's like translating to a word that needs more translation. Being forbearant is the trait of being able to withstand something, but not just withstand it, but to withstand it in a way that preserves your humanity, your dignity, your character, right? Your class, your intelligence, all of the above. So he says here that when a person is tested and tried, they're given the chance to display that level of hilm, that forbearance, that otherwise they wouldn't be able to do. 
And now if you think about, for example, all of the stories of the Prophet ﷺ, the ones that are like the most inspiring. Okay, so you have, for example, the story of the Bedouin that comes and then he urinates in the masjid because he doesn't understand that this isn't a bathroom. He's from the, he's from the, you know, the Bedou, he's from like the, the outskirts, right? Somebody like comes to Roots from Denton. You know, you got to show him around a little bit. Where's the toilet? Things like that. So he comes in and he starts to use the bathroom in the corner of the musalla. Because in his mind, he thinks that this is where you use the bathroom. It's like the corner of the musalla. So he's using the bathroom. He's urinating. And all of the companions become like shocked, concerned, upset, angry. Right? Imagine if somebody came into the masjid before Isha and started doing that, what our response would be. And so the companions start to get a little bit riled up, understandably. And subhanAllah, the Prophet ﷺ, in his wisdom, right, with his hilm, with his forbearance, he says, let him finish. Let him finish. And the, the scholars say there's two reasons for this. Number one was like a character reason, which was that the Prophet ﷺ was so patient with people. And he was forbearant that he was not willing to try to like disturb this person you know, relieving himself in the masjid, even though it's in the masjid, just for the sake of making a point. The second was that the Prophet ﷺ was a smart person and that he realized that if you try to tackle this guy while he's urinating, that small mess is going to become a big mess, right? So he says, let him finish. And then after he finishes, the Prophet ﷺ actually tells not the man himself. He tells the companions, go and get some water and let's clean this up. It doesn't even punish the person who did it. Give them consequences. Make them feel the, the burden of their... No. He says, can you guys go and get some water and we'll clean this up? And then he explains to this man, this, this traveler, that this is a place of worship and that we don't do that here. Right? But again, he, he maintains the dignity of this person. Now, you hear this story, and some of you may have heard it before. You hear this story and you almost feel like, like it almost registers that this man, the Prophet ﷺ, is like superhuman. How is he able to do that? I mean, I want you guys to imagine the smaller things that we get bothered by. When somebody comes over to our home and they might, you know, do something that really bothers us. Maybe we just bought something. Maybe we just set up the furniture a certain way and they start to move stuff around and we feel like, Ugh, you know, you kind of get a little bit tense. Or if a person comes into the masjid and they pray with you and they're praying next to you and they do that thing where they try to, you know, do hurdles with your pinky toes, okay? Or they start to like maybe, you know, get a little bit too much shoulder to shoulder, foot to fit. They're like, they're like body to body, right? Or they start to, you know, get a little bit too cozy. These are things that, again, very small things. In the grand scheme of things, very small things. But we get bothered by them. The Prophet ﷺ, with his hilm, was able to be forbearant and to withstand much more than the small things that we get bothered by. Now, part of the reason why this is the case was because he was who he was, right? Like, at some point, we have to acknowledge and we have to admit that he is the prophet of Allah and we are the followers of him. So we're never going to be able to reach his level. And that's okay, right? But his example is there for a reason. Allah Ta'ala told us that لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا That there's a beautiful example in the Prophet ﷺ for all of you, meaning that you can learn from him. So we can become more like him, and part of the way that you gain this ability 
I know it's not going to be fun, is that you have to be put in situations where you are dealt and you are made to withstand things you don't like. Because you cannot become forbearant if there's nothing to forbear. You cannot become patient if you don't have to be patient with something. So Allah sends to you these moments. And now you have the opportunity to think to yourself, okay, this is not what I want. How do I respond? I can respond like my nefs wants me to respond. I can become upset. I can clap back. I can make sure I get the last word in. I can make sure that I make this person feel humiliated. Da, 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 right? Which is what the nefs wants. The nefs wants us to what? To win in front of everybody and to dominate. But the ruh, the soul, okay, or the, the nefs that's been trained for Allah, for taqwa, wants us to what? Not just win in this dunya. The nefs wants us to win with Allah, with the akhirah. Make the right choice. The Prophet ﷺ, so many times, one time a Bedouin man came in, it's always the Bedouins. One time the Bedouin man came in and he was so, subhanAllah, he wanted zakat. Okay, zakat. So he wanted, he's a recipient of zakat and he wanted zakat. He was so upset and so urgently trying to get this money, this charity from the Prophet ﷺ, who, by the way, pause. Was the Prophet ever, ever, have you ever heard a single story about this man where someone said, can I have money? He said, no. Have you ever heard that? No. So this person coming into the Prophet has no reason to feel that, oh, I'm going to ask him for money, but I have to be forceful because I've heard that he doesn't give money. No. The, 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 the uh, reputation that he had وسلم, was that he was so generous so open-handed, so giving. So this man comes in and he says, I want a zakat. And he pulls on the thobe or the, the garment of the Prophet so hard from the back that it actually starts to suffocate the neck of the Prophet When that ha I want you guys to imagine that. If you guys, It's like a horse collar tackle. He's pulling his shirt back. I want you to imagine this. You know what the Prophet does? One of the narrations said he smiled. He just smiles. Someone's pulling it and he goes, okay. Like, that's what I would do if like, we're a child. If I turn around and I see like a 47-year-old dude from Bucky's pulling on my shirt, like, we're about to square up. You know, like, relax. All right? Relax. That, that, you know, I would come, and then you imagine the companions, how they respond. Ahmad always had his hand on his sword, just ready, right? And so the Prophet he and again, his genius, he's so intelligent, he realizes that if he even so much as shows pain or discomfort or anger in this moment, the companions are going to answer on his behalf. Like he knows this. And so he smiles and he says, he calls out and he says, go and get him zakat. The brother wants some zakat. Go and get him zakat. Now, Look, these narrations are not meant to teach us how to ask for zakat. It's obvious, okay? If you come into the masjid and start pulling on people's neck and be like, I'm just doing the sunnah, brother. No, okay? That's the, uh, the sunnah is not what happened to him necessarily. It's how he responded. He responded with this beautiful forbearance. All of these stories are inspiring. You hear them, you read them, and you think, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam.
What a beautiful person. But now, Al-Izz bin Abdul Salam says, you can become like this too. You actually have it within you. Maybe not to that degree all the time as consistent as he was. But you can become a person who displays this. So he, mentioned, he mentions a couple things. First is he quotes the ayah from Surah At-Tawbah, where Allah Ta'ala says, in Ibrahima la'awahun halimun. He describes Ibrahim. We just did the whole story, right? Becoming a friend of Allah. Ibrahim, we talked about him. Allah described him as two things. Number one, he says, awahun, that he had a tender heart. And this is kind of like a secret. You cannot be forbearant if you're hard-hearted. It's impossible. You know when it's easy to be patient with people? When you can have empathy for them. It's easy to be patient with people when you can put yourself in their shoes and you can think for a moment, okay, you know what? Let me, let me first like ponder why they are doing this or why they did this to me. And even if you don't agree with it, at least you can explore that emotionally and with that tenderheartedness, now you'll be able to what? Respond in a way that is greater, that is better. As Allah Ta'ala says, idfa' billati hi ahsan that respond in a way that is better. And at the end of that ayah, Allah says that when you respond in a way that is better, you might turn your enemy into your friend. You might be able to transform this person that was a sworn enemy into a friend and someone that you call a dear friend of yours. So he described Ibrahim as tender-hearted, and then he called him Halim. Remember the stories that we talked about? Ibrahim went through difficulty after difficulty. There's no doubt. But the way he responded was always with Allah, of course, and with people was next level. I want you to imagine his father is telling him, get out of here or else I'll kill you. He's threatening to kill him. And this isn't like, oh yeah, Baba said that to me too. No, right? This isn't like your mom saying like, like no, I'm going to hit you, you donkey. No, right? Do you want to get smacked? No, that's different. This is his father saying, like, I'm going to end your life. I'm actually going to kill you if you do this. And Ibrahim, instead of being like, let's go, right? I have Allah with me. Who do you have, right? You have your idols? I have Allah. Like, I'll take you down. Ibrahim says what? He says, my father, I'm going to leave and I'm going to seek forgiveness on your behalf. That kind of forbearance, Allah is saying, came from that tender heart. So the first thing you have to check yourself if you want to become a person that benefits from trials in that it makes you forbearant is you have to ask, am I a hard-hearted person? Do I always see the negativity first? Do I always want to call out the flaw first? You know, some people, subhanAllah, I was just thinking about this today because I had a situation unfolding in my life, I'm not going to talk too much about it, where there was a little bit of an irritation happening. And there were two choices for me. The first choice was to just go back at the person and tell them, you're wrong, I'm right, da-da-da-da, this is why, and win the battle. The second choice, right, the second option from the irritation was to say, what can I do to make this better? How can I, how can I help you in this situation? How can I fix this? Even though I know I'm right, by the way. Wallahi, I'm right. I know that I'm right. Like, wallah I'm right, okay? And I'm sitting there, and subhanAllah, this is where, by the way, the company you keep, the person you marry, the friends you have, the people you surround yourself with are very important. 
because I'm sitting there talking to my wife and I'm telling her, Wallahi, I'm right. And she goes, yeah, but that doesn't matter. And she says, you can be right all you want, but you need to figure out how to resolve the problem, not just win the argument. It wasn't between us, by the way, for those of you looking for tea, okay? It was not. It was not between us, alhamdulillah. But the point being is that my heart in the initial stage was very rough. I just wanted to win. But then when I became the person that said, you know what? Instead of me focusing on winning, because then who wins there? Just your ego. But then when I say, you know what? Winning is not the goal here. The goal is resolution. The goal is to go back to a state of equilibrium, of peace, of tranquility. That's the goal. Then you think differently and your heart becomes softer and you start to approach it from a different lens. The next ayah that he quotes is about the son of Ibrahim. Halim. When Ibrahim was given the good news of his son. And what's interesting is that the ayah before this, he says what? Oh Allah, give me please a child that is from the righteous people. Oh Allah, give me please. You know, subhanAllah, I don't know if uh, everyone here understands. When you, like, okay, so obviously there's like the stages of life, right? There's like, you're single, you live life, you grow up, you get old, then you become single, ready to mingle, and then you, uh, you know, make some bad choices, you download some apps that don't work, right? Then you decide to come close to Allah and figure it out that way. You volunteer at some event and then you meet somebody and there we go, Right? Not Roots, by the way, just like some other charity event somewhere, okay? I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Okay. Although if it happens, it happens, but I'm saying don't make it happen here. Just allow it to happen, but don't make it happen. Okay, so so look, you got the single, then you got the single ready to, you know, halal mingle. Then you get married or, you know, you go through the whole stage, you get married. And then, and this is going to about to get real serious, right? When you decide that you want to, inshallah, begin to have a family, Allah Ta'ala maybe blesses you with uh, a child during the stages of pregnancy, you start to really learn a lot about who you are. Because you're, you realize you're completely out of control in this moment. You can't really do anything here. The child is developing, and there's so much when it comes to like personality, when it comes to deen, disposition, their like so much that you can't control. And so all you are reduced to is like a begging servant. And you sit there with this child who is in the womb of your spouse, and you're just sitting making dua, not knowing what this child looks like, sounds like, or is like. And all you say is, Rabbi habli min salihin Oh Allah, I don't know what else to ask you for. Just make them good. Make them a righteous child. Oh Allah, make them a child that you are pleased with. And you know what's crazy? Everyone in this room, like your parents prayed for that. Your parents prayed for that. And you, with your decisions and Allah's tawfiq, you have the ability to answer your, prayer, your prayers of your parents. If you step up, then you become from the salihin, that becomes an answer to the du'as of your parents. May Allah Ta'ala make us all the answers of our parents' prayers in a good way, Ya Rab. So, he asks Allah, Oh Allah, give me from a child who's from the Salihin. Allah responds, فَبَشَّرْنَاهُ بِغُلَامٍ 
he blessed him or he gave him the good news of a boy who was Halim, who had Helm. What's so unique about this? There could have been like a million different descriptions of this boy. Allah could have said he gave him a child that was merciful, Rahim, right? Kareem, Alim, strong, mighty, all these things. He could have described him with so many different descriptions. But Allah, in his infinite wisdom, in his perfect knowledge, equated being righteous with having hilm. So if a person wants to get close to Allah, they have to have hilm. Okay? So now what is hilm and how do we develop the ability to get this unique thing? Let's talk a little bit about what some of the scholars have said. Oh, there's another one that I love, another hadith. Anas bin Malik, radiallahu an. He says, I served the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I served him for over 10 years. And he says, he never blamed me once. If he ordered me to do something and I missed it or I made a mistake. Like when he ordered me to do something, I was his servant. He told me, go and do this. And I didn't do it. He never, ever told me, why didn't you do that? This was not the character for 10 years. And then he says, if someone in the household blamed me, so let's say, for example, that he was told to do something. He didn't do it. The Prophet was quiet. And then someone in the house, like someone in the environment was like, hey, Ennis, what's wrong with you, man? The Prophet would respond and he would say what? He would say, leave him alone. Leave him alone because Allah decreed this. He would protect him with the qadr of Allah, man. You can't even go against that. Can you imagine? People ask you why you're late. You're like, Allah destined it, man. I don't know what to tell you. And obviously it's always right. But at some point, you also cannot will your mistakes into your destiny, right? But this is again, the Prophet ﷺ, of course, displaying his hilm. And not only displaying his hilm, but he's giving you kind of a secret. How can you develop this hilm? Part of it, and really the beginning and the end of it, is that you have to be a person that is okay accepting the decree of Allah. If you cannot accept that Allah decreed this for me, then developing forbearance will be very difficult, very challenging. We'll talk about how to get there on a, on a more uh, um, uh, detailed level in just a moment. Okay? A, a man came to Salman al-Farisi, and he said, advise me. So Salman al-Farisi, one of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, a man came to him and he said, teach me, please. Salman al-Farisi decides to give him advice. And he says, what? Just like the Prophet ﷺ said, do not become angry. He tells him, never become angry. And we find out that anger is actually the opposite evil force of hilm. That when people are not forbearant, they tend to get angry very easily. So he's telling him, what? Don't get angry. The man says to him, he says, you just asked me to do something that's very difficult for me. Like I get angry. So he tells him, like, explain to me further because it's not that simple for me. You're telling me don't get angry, but I don't know how to even not get angry. So give me some more advice. And he says to him, okay, when you feel angry, hold your hands and close your mouth. 
which is what? Al-Muslimu man salim al-Muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadi. The Prophet said, the Muslim is the one who everyone is safe from two things. Number one, their hands. You can't put your hands on anybody, right? A Muslim means that you have submitted to the fact that I am going to be able to control myself. So you know that, 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 that saying that we have, right? Caught these hands. If you're Muslim, you're not giving anyone hands to catch, inshallah, okay? Generally speaking. And then also from your tongue. And this is also very important because it could be like the one-on-one verbal lashing, but it also could be the backbiting, the slandering, and the other things that we say when we're angry at somebody. And so Salman al-Fadisi tells him, part of hilm is that you have to be able to control your hands and the things that you say. Now, some of the scholars, when they described hilm, here's how they described it, all right? So this is a chance now for all of us to achieve it. They described it as they said, number one, hilm is when you abandon moving quickly. You abandon haste. How many of you guys have a problem making decisions quickly or saying things too quickly or responding quickly? You don't have to raise your hand. Everyone's cold. We're all like, okay. But if you have said things quickly or responded quickly, I would be willing to bet. Betting's haram. But I would be willing to bet if it, anyways, okay. I would be willing to guess that those moments of quick responses, the majority of them led to a lot of regret. The majority of them. The times that we respond quickly to something, we have not given it deliberation and thought and strategy to think about, is this the right thing to say? Or is this the right thing to do? Now, sometimes you have to respond. The, the circumstance calls for it. Sometimes you have to. Here, we're not talking about those special moments once in a while. We're talking about your day-to-day life. How do you handle when something is not going your way? So Al-Iz, when he quotes this, he describes and he says that Hilm is the ability to not say something quickly, to not respond to something quickly, but rather to hold yourself together. Another scholar says it's the ability to control yourself when you feel anger. How many of us can do that? I don't know about you guys, but I have a horrible, horrible face when I am feeling a certain way about somebody. It is very difficult, right? When I feel upset, when I feel angry, I am not good at this. I should wear, you know, I should wear niqab. Like it's very bad for me. Okay? And that means that I struggle with this because hilm is the ability to maintain that equilibrium despite. Now, here's the crazy thing. The ego, the nafs, sometimes gets a little bit of a kick and enjoys letting the person know how I feel. And even though we're not brave enough to say something or to do something, sometimes we do it with our eyes, right? Side eye, bombastic side eye, right? We do it with our eyes. Sometimes we do it with our face, right? There's three letters that describe that. May Allah save us, right? Okay? If you know, then you know. If you don't know, may Allah bless you. You have a pure heart, okay? Sometimes these are ways in which we, we think we found a loophole. Oh, look, I'm being patient. I didn't say anything. Yeah, you didn't say anything, but you absolutely said something. Even though your mouth was closed, you still got your point across. And subhanAllah, there is no better example of this. You know, we're all adults here. There's no better example of this than when you look at children. And I always say this when I teach, is that the nafs is just a child of an adult, but the adult is good at hiding our intentions. 
kids are not as good at hiding their intentions. That's why Allah does not write down their deeds because they're still developing their moral compass. But when you see children and how they interact, you're able to see how the nafs operates, that there's those little moments of pleasure. And as a father of two kids, I see this all the time. And subhanAllah, we act the same way. How many of you in an argument need to get the last word in? No one's admitting it. I'm so proud of it. Yeah, thank you, right? Okay. Right? It, by the way, it's the same thing. When you're a child, if you're fighting with somebody, right, as children, need to get the last word in or the last slap. So they're fighting, fighting, fighting. They're separated, right? I've seen this all over. I worked at schools. I have two children of my own. I'm an uncle. I'm, I'm an imam, for God's sake. I see it all the time. You got two kids separated, and as they're separated, and you're like trying to figure it out, we're 30 seconds into the cool-off period. One of them like, is like, I need water, and they walk. And then they like curve, and they're like, ah. And they try to slap the other kid. And it's like, we were done. We were done. And now we're not done, right? Because now that kid is going to come back. But what was it, subhanAllah, what was it that drove you to get that last hit in? It was the inability to hold yourself together when you were angry. Your inability to hold yourself together. And you know what though? Children, we don't expect them to have hilm. We don't expect it. When you read the story of Ismail, the son of Ibrahim, when he displayed hilm, why did he, why, why did he have so much hilm by the way? Because he was put in difficulty from a young age. Right? I mean, he was born and then he had to be left in a desert with no vegetation, no water. That's tough. And he's a child. He has to go through that. And as he's growing older, he has to, you know, his mother is, is, is Hajar salam is able to, is being given the gift of Zamzam, is able to give him water, but he still has to grow up in the desert. And now they have this tribes, Jurhum, that comes by and offers protection, but he's still growing up in a very tough terrain. Mecca's not soft. It's not easy. And then, subhanAllah, he gets older, and he and his father, Ibrahim, السلام, they construct the foundations of the Kaaba together, and then Allah sends down the command of sacrifice, and after that command of sacrifice, Ismail, he what? He says, Do what you've been commanded. So test after test after test. That's why Allah described him as Halim. Because all of the tests that Allah was going to send his way required somebody who was able to handle it. And that's why when you look at the pictures and the videos coming out of Gaza right now and you see these young children that have the forbearance of an adult and the, the mental state of an adult, it's not always fair or right, but look at the byproduct of difficulty. You know, there, this is why, subhanAllah, you read some of these narrations that some of these people, Osama, Osama, uh, Osama bin Zaid, leading an army in his teens. Leading an army in his teens. And we got brothers in here still play Call of Duty. Right? That's not leading. You're like, I lead an army too, kind of, right? Between 11 and midnight every night, me and the clan, me and the boys, like, throw on the headphones. That's not the same thing as Osama bin Zaid, man. The point being is that if, and this is subhanAllah, Again, tying it back together, if as parents you try to protect and preserve your children from any difficulty that touches them, you are actually making it more difficult for them to develop hilm. Children, 
people, humans, need to go through difficulty in order to develop the ability to keep themselves together. If everything is always easy all the time, when something becomes difficult, we fall apart. But the people that had to go through very tough times, when they go through a difficult time, subhanAllah, you see they're able to keep it together. So, Ar-Raghib, he says, it's the ability to control your soul and your temperament at the onrush of anger. Another person, Al-Jahiz, he said, it's the ability to, when you have strength and you have the ability to take revenge, you don't do it. You don't take revenge. Many of us, we don't take revenge, but not because we choose not to. We don't take revenge because we can't. Like you can't take revenge on your boss. They're your boss, right? You can't take revenge on your neighbor, maybe. You can't. But if you were given, ask yourself this question. The person that you get upset with, that you get angry with, if you were given power and complete immunity from punishment, how would you treat that person? A person with no hilm would treat them like a tyrant. And this is why, subhanAllah, look at this, guys. I want everyone to think about this for a moment. I don't know if you guys ever heard the statement of the famous Omar Mukhtar from Libya when he was describing his response to the colonizers torturing and killing the Muslims and his response to why the Muslims did not treat their prisoners in that time like the Muslim prisoners were being treated. What did he say? They are not our teachers. We don't become the monster. Even if the monster is tyrannical with us, we don't become the monster. We don't let that thing win. And look, subhanAllah, look at how history is repeating itself again. The way that the Muslims are being treated across the globe. Across the globe. But the Muslims who are sincere and clinging to their faith, they refuse to become the monster. They refuse. And I will share one thing, subhanAllah. The amount of people, because of this crazy era that we're living in, I want you guys to understand, never before, never before has history been written by this many people through their phones. You understand that everybody who's videotaping and taking pictures and recording and posting is a historian, is adding to the historical record. You realize that before, the way that history was gathered was that people would come together, would be interviewed, they would be asked questions, they would gather history, usually through one way, one filter, one funnel, the historians. But now you're having this unedited, unfiltered, completely objective historical record that's being built and people are able to see the response firsthand of how people of Iman respond to difficulty. And it is moving people to tears, despite the fact that they're not Muslim. They're not Muslim. They have no emotional attachment to Islam or the Quran, but they're seeing somebody and how he's responding or how she's responding, and they can't help but say that this is divine. This is divine. And I know that it's easy for us to always go back to Gaza and to Palestine and to the situations of our brothers and sisters all over the globe, Afghanistan, Sudan, Somalia, Congo, the Uyghurs in China. May Allah Ta'ala uplift oppression everywhere, Ya Rabb. But you know what's crazy? You also have the ability to display this hilm 
in your own life and you will have the same effect on the people in your life. You will have that ability. When someone says something or does something to you that's wrong and you display the ability to keep it together, don't think for a second that after the reward of Allah that people don't notice that. And that that is something that is inspiring. And that re represents your Prophet ﷺ in a beautiful way. So Al-Jahiz says, it's the abandonment of taking revenge in extreme anger, despite your ability to do so. This means that revenge, when it comes to us, and there's that famous story, it, it, it's not authentically narrated, but nevertheless, we find it to be true based on his character of Ali radiallahu an. There was a story narrated about him in the battle of Khandaq, and it was said that as he was fighting somebody, he had tackled them to the ground, and when he tackled them to the ground, he had his sword over them, and he was about to end their life. And in that moment, what did that person do? Spit on his face. Exactly. And so, in that moment, he has sword raised, right? And the person spit on his face. He takes his sword, he puts it away, and he walks away. And the person, people asked, why didn't you do it? And he said, when I was fighting him, it was for Allah. When he spit at me, it was for me, and I gave, I, I gave in. Like, <laughs> that's him. In the ability to stop yourself when you have just been, the adrenaline's rushing. The closest thing that I can think of to this is like when you're watching a, a, a UFC fight, which I don't watch, by the way. I don't know if they're permissible. Wallahi. But when you're watching those guys go at it. No, I don't know. They're out of showing. They're just two guys. Anyways, okay, so <laughs> they're hitting his face. Okay, I just have to say it. I have to say it. Allah, Allah, Allah you witnessed. Okay, so. But when, when, when there's two people that are fighting, the adrenaline pumping, the, the desperation to knock out the other person, and then in that moment, instead of it being about the battle, it becomes personal, and then you stop. Ajib. Strange. What must this person have inside of them? Hilm. And Ali radiallahu an was known for many things. May Allah bless him. He was known for many things. One of them was that he was the most just. From the companions, he was known for his justice. He was so committed to not oppressing somebody. And so even though the story is not authentically narrated, it stands true based on his character. What we know about him is that what? He would never ever oppress somebody. And in that moment, he did not. Okay, some other things. Now, how do we become someone who is like this? The first he mentions here, Ibn Hibban, he mentions, you have to become good at dealing with things you don't like. You have to become good with what? Dealing with what? Things you don't like. You have to become good at it. Not everything can trigger you. Not everything can set you off. We have to become people that when something doesn't go our way, we have to be able to take it with grace. We have to be able to handle it with beauty, with patience. Okay? So number one is get better. Let's get better at that. Something's not going your way. Figure out a response to those moments that brings you closer to Allah. Not the complaining, not the frustration, not the anger. And if you have to complain, complain to Allah, nobody else. Keep it between you and him. But figure out a statement. Subhanallah. The Prophet ﷺ, when something upset him, he would do one of two things. He would turn his face quietly away or he would say subhanallah. That's, that's what they would know. The other very few moments that he would speak out or say something were very, very serious transgressions. But his general, his general character, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, was that when he didn't like something, he would turn away. And you know what's crazy is that when you meet someone like this, who their character and their forbearance is so beautiful, that 
They don't even show you when they're angry. Their anger is actually the thing that is the most heavy. Like my dad, may Allah Ta'ala bless my dad. And my dad never got angry. Never. You could not make him angry. I, I mean, I did, man, I was thinking about it. If Musa did, if my son did to me what I did to my dad in terms of just like just general misbehavior, you have no idea how much it would test me. May Allah protect me. Ya Rab, Ya Rab. I make tawbah publicly here. In, uh, right now and on the internet. Oh Allah, do not test me like I tested my dad. My dad, subhanAllah, was a saint. And I'll say this. He's still alive, alhamdulillah. He's a saint. And I'll, still, and I'll say this. My dad, he never got angry. So when he did get angry, it was really serious. It was very serious. But I've said this before. My beloved mother, may Allah bless my mom, was Egyptian. So always had, mashallah, a lot of energy. And so you could never really tell if she was very angry or just it was Tuesday. You just couldn't tell because that's just how the Egyptians are, right? They're just very emotionally, mashallah, emotionally happy, emotionally sad, emotionally angry, emotionally confused, emotionally everything, right? And I, by the way, I, I, me exactly, that's me exactly. My dad, subhanAllah, was able to keep that equilibrium so beautifully. And so when he did get upset, you really, really felt it. So subhanAllah, what the scholars here are saying is that, number one, you have to learn how to control yourself. When you control yourself, you're not going to lose respect. No. You're not going to lose. People are not going to not take you seriously. No. The opposite. People will actually take you much more seriously. But if you're always getting upset, if you're always angry, always triggered, always this, always that, people don't know. Is it Tuesday or is it Wednesday? I don't know. This guy's angry all the time. This girl's angry all the time. But if it's like that once in a while where you really show displeasure, people will say, subhanAllah, I, th that's not good, man. We should, never, we should never let them get to this point, right? So he says that you prevent the soul from what you dislike and from falling into that which is prohibited. So hilm, one of the challenges of it is that when we, when we experience something that we don't like, we start to do things that are prohibited by Allah. So if somebody wrongs us, we wrong them back. That's not okay. If somebody says something about us, we respond. We back. That's not okay. You can't respond. You know, Islam is not about an eye for an eye. That's not, we don't operate in that way. Right? The Prophet ﷺ, his general perception was that he was somebody that was forgiving. He was pardoning. That's how he operated ﷺ. So how do you become this way? Number one, ma'rifah. You develop a sense of knowledge of Allah. That Allah is always there He's always listening. He's always watching you. If you can remind yourself, and if I can remind myself, that we are never, ever operating except that we are on camera. Do you guys know that we got new cameras in here? Do you see them? Everyone's looking. See? Think about Allah like that. We didn't get new cameras, by the way. They've always been here. But imagine if I told you, look, you're on camera. You, right? Everyone pauses. You're like, where? Which camera? Man, subhanAllah, with Allah, we are always on camera. We're always being watched. Everything's being recorded. Raqibun atid. The angels are right here. And they're writing everything down. Every single thing is being written down. That anxiety you feel when someone tells you, hey, just to, just to let you know, you're being recorded right now. You know, sometimes I'm on the phone and they're like, for quality and assurance purposes, right? Or I hear a click 
Or there's like a Fed. There's definitely a Fed in this room, by the way. Salaamu Alaikum, by the way. You can take Shahada and become Muslim. That's fine. You know, there's somebody like an informant in here. For sure, I know you're in here. And you know what? Allah is already watching me all the time. So I'm not afraid of you, okay? And no one in here is. Alhamdulillah. Not mean to scare anybody, but it's definitely true. So, ma'rifah. Come to know and realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always watching you. If you operate with this frame, the motivation to operate in a virtuous way is constant. Our ability and our desire to be good is only as present as our remembrance that Allah is watching us. Ibn al-Qayyim said that when we commit sins, we temporarily forgot Allah was watching us. Because nobody commits a sin and while they're committing it is like actively thinking like Allah is watching me, Allah is watching me. Because that person is like, if, if that was the case, they'd be really, really, subhanAllah, like pushing Allah away. So what we do in order to deal with the guilt of committing the sin is we try to like temporarily push away that consciousness. But then that's why when someone says, Ittaqillah, remember Allah. When someone says, remember Allah, then everyone stops. There have been so many Hajj trips that I've been on where people are yelling and arguing. And one person, usually the Egyptian, just gets in the middle of it and says, Ittaqillah! And everyone just, <sighs> because they remember in that moment that Allah is watching me. And I'm not going to say something or do something with my Lord watching, handling it in a way that is patient. Sabr is the ability to keep going when things are difficult. And we'll talk about this because he's going to bring it up later in the book. Sabr is the ability to deal with something that is happening to you with patience, even if it's difficult. Now, here's the next one that I want to share with you. Deliberation. Ana. Deliberation. The ability to be a person that is thoughtful. Because why? Remember what we said? Hilm is the ability to pull yourself back for a second and to think, even if it's for a couple minutes, about what the right response would be to say. I was actually texting somebody one time and we were talking about something serious. It wasn't like a drama. It was just we were going over something. And I was very impressed with something he said. We were discussing and we had a slight disagreement. And he responded with one of the most wise things ever. He said to me, because we were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then he said, can you please just give me five minutes to think about this? And I was like, I was so impressed with his, what? Self-awareness. And he was like, can you just give me a few minutes to think about it before I respond? Because I feel like right now we're just going back and forth and I'm not, I haven't thought about it. Guys, think about how many arguments you've gotten into where you lost the focus of actually being deliberate and strategic and the, the focus instead became trading punches. One for one, one for one, one for one, right? Allah does not reward speed. In fact, he rewards the opposite. He rewards patience. So having deliberation is mentioned. And then at tathabbut. Tathabbut here is when a person has resolve and determination. So when a person realizes and they decide that this is something that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, convinced about, then I will decide that I want to have hilm in this moment and I have that uh, uh, firmness in my decision. Okay, we only have a couple minutes left. So we're not going to finish all this today, but I'll get to you, inshallah, with a couple more things. Okay? It is described by another scholar. Listen to this line. He said, Hilm 
if Helm were to have parents, <laughs> he said, if Helm were to be a child, the parents would be two things. Number one, he says intelligence. The one, the one parent would be intelligence. That Helm is born from a person thinking before they act. But the second one is amazing. It might surprise you. He says, the second parent of Helm after intelligence is silence. And he says, the ability to be silent protects many people from their mistakes and their shortcomings. And there is an entire chapter in one of the books that I was reading about the virtues of silence and being silent. Silence is one of the greatest tools that a person can have in their spiritual toolbox. Not saying something is one of the strongest forms of communication. The Prophet ﷺ was someone who was actually, despite the fact that we have so many hadith and narrations that he said, he was actually known to be a very quiet person. He was not known to be outspoken. And he was someone that was praised for his silence. Jabir ibn Sumra, he said that when I sat with the Prophet ﷺ, he basically is bra not bragging, but he's like, I, look, he goes, I know the Prophet ﷺ. So the companion says, okay, how well do you know him? He goes, we hung out over a hundred times, right? So he's like, we hung out a lot, over a hundred times. And he says that the companions around him would be talking about politics, would be talking about poetry. They'd be sharing like these things and they'd be speaking even about their own past, pre-Islam. And Jabir said, the Prophet ﷺ would get very quiet. It was noticeable. But he wasn't unplugged. He was still there. He was, he was witnessing. He was there. But he would not say much. And then they said, Jabir said, sometimes we know that the Prophet ﷺ would approve. Like the, we would kind of all be talking and then we're like, should we keep going? Because he's getting really quiet. Like is he disapproving of what we're saying? And then the Prophet ﷺ in those moments, Jabir said, he would just ever so slightly crack a smile. And so Omar, for example, would be telling a story about his you know, the J days, the Jahiliya days. And he'd be going on about, that's one that we use sometimes. And so then he'd be going on about some of the mistakes he made. And people would look at the Prophet Sallallahu like, is he disapproving? And the Prophet Sallallahu very graciously would just in that moment crack a smile. Or he would laugh very, very quietly through his mouth. He would give a chuckle to let them know, subhanAllah, that he was approving of what they were saying. But his silence was still noted. Okay? So what are the benefits of silence? We'll talk about this for a second before we conclude. Number one. The Prophet said, That whoever believes in Allah on the last day, that they will say something good or they'll be quiet. This hadith is actually the salvation of probably over 90% of the mistakes of human beings. If every human being before they spoke said, Is this statement that I'm going to make good? and went through that filtration process, we would probably decide to abandon at least 80, maybe 90% of the things that we said. So the Prophet says it's a sign of faith. The second thing, it's a sign of a pure soul. A person that says everything, the Prophet even said that it's enough to know somebody as a liar. He said it's enough of a proof that someone is a liar that they do what? Anyone know the rest? They lie, yeah, that's one, yeah? No, no, this is a crazy one. It's enough of a proof, meaning what? 
We know this person's a liar because they do what? They have one trait, one, be- one behavior. They say everything that they know. They talk a lot. That they, 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 they relay everything that they know. So then the prophet and what does lying have to do with talking? Man, at some point, you're not that interesting. At some point, you're going to run out of things that are interesting about you. And you're going to have to borrow from someone else's life and put yourself in the main character spot. So the Prophet says, it's enough to identify somebody as a liar that they continuously share everything that they know. So silence, on the other hand, shows what? The truthfulness and the trustworthiness of somebody. The purity of their soul and their heart. Number three, it bears the fruit of Allah in that people generally love somebody who can hold their tongue. Number four, it is one of the greatest ways to develop dignity. People respect somebody. And number five, it is a sign of wisdom. And all of these things are also shared with Hilm. With Hilm. The last thing that I'll share before we break is a story of Ashaj Abdul Qais. This is uh, one of my favorite stories. So there was a tribe that was coming to visit the Prophet Wasallam, And the tribe was very excited. And they were going basically to accept Islam on the hands of the Prophet Wasallam. Because there was a year during the time of the Prophet Wasallam where tribes would come and they would visit and they would accept. It wasn't only one year, but there was a year in particular in which after the opening of Mecca, especially you'd have all these tribes that would come and they would take shahada, they would give their bay'ah to the Prophet Wasallam. So during this time, there was the tribe of uh, Abdul Qais. And they arrived and they went to go meet the Prophet And I want you to imagine this chaos. They all pull up with their horses and their donkeys and their camels. They're so excited that they jump off of all of their animals and they run inside to the masjid of the Prophet There's a mess everywhere. I mean, you thought like shoes in the hallway, cars parked, double parked. I want you to imagine all of this, but with like animals. Bags are everywhere. Animals are everywhere. I mean, these animals could go wild. No one would know. They would disappear. They were so excited. They were so overwhelmed. We're meeting the Prophet of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that they just jumped right in. Their leader, Ashaj Abdul Qais, he stood back. And he looked and he realized that, again, remember all the traits that we talked about? Deliberation, thoughtfulness. He says, we're coming here to meet the Messenger of Allah. We can't leave Medina looking like this. So he sits outside and he goes to each person's animal and he straightens up their pack and he straightens up everything. He gathers their stuff, he puts it to the side and he makes everything look as, as nice as you can with animals. Right? He lines them up like parking spots. Makes everything look nice. Then he walks in. Okay, So everyone's already sitting there. They presented dates to the Prophet ﷺ from their region. They had specific dates. They presented dates to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ says, who is your leader? Which one of you is the leader? And they all point to Ashaj Abdul Qais and he's walking in. And then it becomes known, everyone kind of looks at him and they're like, oh, like he took care of our mess again. He took care of our mess. So the Prophet ﷺ, he really loved that about him and he sat close to him and they were talking. Now, one of the things about the Abdul Qais clan was that they liked drinking, not water. Yes, wine, okay? So the Prophet ﷺ, he actually... In his bay'ah with them, when they accepted Islam, he said, look, you're Muslim now. You know, everyone has their own pace. But the one thing I have to tell you is that you can no longer drink anymore. So he goes, I want you to cut out these 
cups. They used to have special cups for wine. He goes, this one, that one, that one. Just get rid of them. Just get rid of them. Get rid of all the bottles. I don't want you to keep those bottles anymore. Ashaj, listen to this. This is crazy. He goes, Ya Rasulullah. And he does this. He points at his palm. Which in their culture at the time is like us doing this. Little sip. He goes, Ya Rasulullah, please. The Prophet saw some smiles. And he goes, if I give you this, you're going to take this. Meaning what? With this particular thing, I can't. When I, if I give you a little bit, you're going to take a lot. Okay? And Ashaj Abdul Qais, he acknowledges this, he laughs, and this becomes a, uh, 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 a moment between them. The Prophet then tells a story, and he says, if I give you this, then one of you is going to get his leg cut open by someone's sword. Here's the funny part. A month prior to that, in their village, they were drinking at night, and somebody said something, and someone got upset, and they were drunk. The guy got up, and he took his sword, and he cut the leg of one of the guys. Now, the Prophet wasn't there. How did he know this? That guy is sitting in the gathering and he narrates, he says, when I heard the prophet say this example, I covered my legs. Because <laughs> he goes, I had a huge scar on my leg that was still healing. I covered my legs. He goes, but Jibreel had already informed him of that moment and that's why he used it as a proof. When Ashaj said to the prophet, Hadr, Ya Rasulullah, Sama'na wa ata'na, we obey you. The prophet, he said to Ashaj Abdul Qais, he goes, you have two qualities that Allah loves. He says, number one is hil, and number two is al-ana. He goes, you are a very forbearant person. Like, you got here, you took care of everyone's stuff, you didn't get upset, you took care of everybody. Then you came in, and you asked for a little bit of wine. Can we get a little fatwa? And I said no, and you said okay. That shows that you are a person of forbearance. You have gone through, in just these few hours, so many things that people typically dislike. You have to clean up a mess after people. You have to come in and represent people. You made a request and I said no. And look at how you handled it. Like a champ. He goes, you have hilm. And you have al-ana. Which means what? You're a deliberate person. You're thoughtful. You're not wild. You're not chaotic. And he goes, ashaj, those two qualities about you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he loves them. We ask Allah ta'ala to make us those that have hilm. We ask Allah ta'ala to make us the person that is wise, the one that is thoughtful, that is patient, and that whenever we go through a trial, these trials give us these gifts. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be benefit from the trials that we go through. With the fruits of that, whether we're, we're reading and we're studying, we ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the benefit of being a person that is full of hilm and that is a person who can control themselves, their anger, their tongue, their thoughts, and eventually make the right choices. Ya Allah, Ya Rahman Rahimin. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to forgive us for our shortcomings and to help us in our challenges and trials. Oh Allah, we ask you to provide relief and to provide aid and to uplift the oppression from our Muslim brothers and sisters, Ya Allah, and allow our du'as to reach them and allow our prayers to benefit them, Ya Allah, through your mercy and your kindness, Ya Rahman Rahimin. Subhanakallahu bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.